earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for being with me today on A Word from the Word. Today is part one in a new series called The Acts of the Resurrection Life. So let's journey together through the book of Acts. This will be a thematic journey. We'll trace the lives of the apostles and followers of Jesus as they exhibit resurrection power in all that they do. Now, the idea of resurrection power should not be unfamiliar to us Christ followers, right? After all, friends, every Sunday we meet for worship should remind us of the resurrection since Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday morning. Now, I'd like to think that we believers don't just celebrate the resurrection, commonly referred to as Easter, on one weekend of the year or during one limited season. But I have a feeling that most of us, most of the time, navigate through our daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly lives without really being conscious of Jesus' resurrection and exactly what that incredible event and action actually did for us, did for our daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly lives. So part one is called Close Encounters of a Different Kind. And friends, I'd like to kick off this series with a true story that occurred many years ago. A Christian baroness living in the highlands of Nairobi, Kenya, employed a young national as her household servant. After three months, this young boy asked her to give him a letter of reference so he could bring it to a friendly sheik several miles away. The baroness, of course, didn't want the servant to leave, especially since he had just learned the household routines, so she offered him more pay. But the lad explained he was not leaving for more pay. Rather, he had decided that he would weigh the choice to become either a Christian or a Muslim. Then explained to the baroness he had specifically chosen to work for her for three months to see how a Christian acted. Well, the three months were up, and it was now time to work three months for the sheik to observe the way that Muslims act. After this, he would decide which way of life he'd follow. Well, the baroness was somewhat stunned. She immediately recalled her many blemishes in her dealings with this young servant boy. Almost at a loss for words, she exclaimed, Why didn't you tell me this in the beginning? Whoa, friends, doesn't this kind of fit the cliché? Actions speak louder than words. And notice that the word actions begins with A-C-T, or ACT. Friends, I'm pretty sure that we've made the rounds of the gospel accounts of the resurrection of Jesus. After all, the conclusion of all four gospels 
ramps up to zing us with the empty tomb account. But I wonder, how familiar are we with the sequel to the resurrection accounts? Well, it just so happens that the sequel is the book of Acts. Luke, the author of the Gospel of Luke, is also the author of the Gospel's sequel, the book of Acts. And friends, just as the resurrection of Jesus Christ had a powerful and lasting impact on the original followers of Jesus, so too our understanding and appreciation of the resurrection should have powerful and lasting implications for our lives as well, right? here right now the image of the empty tomb however we picture it should be emblazoned on the forefront of our minds after all the resurrection is the capstone of our christian faith it's what distinguishes christianity from the other world religions well friends imagine for a moment our new testament without the book of acts our New Testament opens with four Gospels that outline Jesus' life on earth. Then, from the book of Romans onward, spells out the instructions for the Messianic and converted pagan Christian congregations that sprang up after Jesus ascended back to the Father after his resurrection. We call them the fledgling or emerging church. These instructions, if you will, take the form of letters dispatched to these congregations spread throughout the Roman Empire. Romans, the first in this series of correspondences, is addressed to the Christian community meeting in Rome. Then we have the two Corinthian letters, then the Galatian letter, then the Ephesian letter, the Colossian letter, etc., all the way to the Revelation letter, signaling the close of the New Testament. So the key question for us would be, how did the gospel get from Jerusalem to these distant cities in the empire? Without Acts, friends, something is missing. Without Acts, the New Testament simply leaps from an organized history of one man, Jesus of Nazareth, to a seemingly haphazard collection of unexplained personal correspondences. But with the presence of the book of Acts, a bridge is built. A necessary transition is made from the account of the life of Jesus Christ to the fledgling Judeo-Christian community that's planted first in Jerusalem, which then spreads outward to Judea, Samaria, and eventually to the uttermost parts of the earth. And friends, the gospel writer who makes this bridge the easiest and smoothest is Luke, and he does this at the tail end of his gospel, in Luke 24, the final chapter. And interestingly enough, Luke is the only gospel writer who, after his account of Jesus' resurrection, makes us privy to an encounter the risen Christ had with two disciples along the Emmaus Road. Perhaps you're already familiar with this account that goes from verse 13 to verse 32. I encourage you to read the full story. It's fascinating. Today I'm going to zero in on what follows that encounter, verses 33 through 49, where we learn that these two disciples sped off to Jerusalem, tracked down the eleven disciples of Jesus, and reported to them that the risen Christ had appeared to them. During this discussion, 
Jesus coincidentally just appears to them in the room they were all in, and he verifies for them that it's him, the resurrected Messiah. And during Jesus' encounter and fellowshipping with his disciples over a meal, he says to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then Luke tells us Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And then Jesus continues, This is what is written, The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Friends, this is where Luke has a built-in bridge to his follow-up book, Acts. So let's listen in on how he introduces his follow-up volume, this book of Acts. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of forty days, and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now listen carefully, friends, to Jesus' reply. It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Did you catch that easy and smooth transition? Now, friends, please notice that a key endowment that the Holy Spirit is bringing with him for his disciples is power, and that it is this necessary power that enables them to be Jesus' witnesses across the empire. In fact, Jesus commanded them not to go anywhere until they received this power. Luke twenty four forty nine is worth repeating. I'm going to send you what my father had promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Friends, I love two words that Luke uses here, clothed and power. Clothed is a Greek word that means to sink into a garment. In other words, to be fully enveloped or encased in a piece of clothing. Personally, I like picturing a mummy. I imagine that there's been times when you grabbed a blanket, wrapped it around yourself, and sat on your couch or chair and felt nice and comfortable. Well, just imagine that blanket being the Holy Spirit, enveloping you completely, endowing every part of you with his presence and power. Then there's Luke's second word, power. Luke uses the Greek word dunamis, or its form dynamin. It's actually the root for our English word dynamite. But we need to be careful here. The word and product dynamite weren't invented until 1867 by a Swedish physicist. 
While this Greek word means miraculous power, might, strength, force, and energy, we mustn't retroject back into the first century our modern term dynamite and claim that the followers of Jesus were given dynamite power by the Holy Spirit. That would be wrong. Friends, what I'd like us to see and recognize is that the primary issue throughout the book of Acts is the issue of power. This word for power is used 120 times in the New Testament, and 12 of these are found in the book of Acts. And if we read the Gospels and the first chapter of Acts carefully, we'll discover that the Jews of the first century hated that the Roman Empire was holding absolute power, authority, and dominion over them. And restoring the kingdom to Israel was a long-awaited hope embedded in the minds of the first century Jews. The ministry of Jesus just heightened their senses and taste for this deliverance from Roman domination. The week before Jesus' crucifixion, their hope appeared to materialize before their eyes during that fateful procession into Jerusalem when they waved those palm branches and laid them at his donkey's feet. This symbolic gesture was accompanied by shouts uttered from Psalm 118, you know, Hosanna! That meant, save us now! But instead, Jesus was about to leave them and return to the Father's side. And it would become the role of the Holy Spirit to finally wean the disciples off of an earthly kingdom mindset. Friends, this is why I believe the crucial word in Jesus' conversation in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is, But... In verse 6, they ask the question. In verse 7, Jesus says it's not for them to know. And in verse 8, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Friends, did you catch that? These final words of Jesus have built into them that the disciples don't need earthly power to usher in the kingdom of God. And just let me say here that the disciples' limited vision of picturing that the kingdom of God was merely within the borders of the Roman Empire was blasted by these words of Jesus. The kingdom of God was to be as vast as the entire earth. And to accomplish God's vision, a power from on high was needed, and it was about to invade their inmost being. And friends, this power would first overthrow the inward kingdom, the one that lusts for earthly power, control, and domination, and it would make changes from within the human heart. And instead of a massive overthrow in one fell swoop, these changes would start small and somewhat inconspicuously, like leaven, like a mustard seed, like a treasure hidden in a field, like a pearl. Listen carefully now, friends. We can't read the book of Acts and not see its underlying theme, a recurring truth interwoven on just about every page. The fundamental character of God's kingdom is power. This is how Dr. Henry T. Blackaby puts it in his devotional reflection on Acts. Blackaby's full statement is, Christianity is not moral platitudes, lofty intentions, and noble thoughts. The fundamental character of God's kingdom is power. 
And friends, this power must not be divorced from the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, we've got to train our minds to think of power as resurrection power. It's a power from Jesus that is being bestowed upon us as his followers and disciples. Paul realized this when he said in Romans 1, 3, and 4, concerning Jesus, who was a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. Then, just several verses later, in verse 16, virtually in the same breath, he adds, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek or Gentile. Friends, we can tell that Paul really latched on to this notion of power because it comes up again in 1 Corinthians 4.20. For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. This might even be what inspired Blackaby's conclusion. So, friends, I'd like to invite you to read through the book of Acts during this teaching series and become a detective of the divine. Get your spiritual magnifying glass out and watch for the appearances of the word power. Along with it, also watch for the word signs, which has a direct tie-in with the word power. Signs refers to miracles, but these miracles or signs are valuable not so much for what they are, but for what they indicate of the grace and power of the doer or of his immediate connection with a higher spiritual dimension. We're reminded over and over that the power bestowed on us is a received power from on high. Recall Luke twenty four forty nine. Stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. And recall Acts one eight. But where you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. An anonymous quote is worth sharing here. God raised up Jesus not simply to give credence to man's immemorial hopes of life beyond the grave, but to shatter history and remake it by a cosmic, creative event, ushering in a new age and a new dimension of existence. Friends, that new dimension of existence is precisely what Jesus was bringing and what the Holy Spirit was perpetuating. The New Testament word used for this is zoe, meaning eternal life, but not just the everlasting side of eternal life, not just duration, but also dimension. Come on, we all know that possessing eternal life adds a dimension to our earthly lives that we didn't have before, right? And this dimension to our present lives is what shines forth and what others see. It's sometimes even called light. Remember Jesus' words in Matthew 5.16? Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I propose, friends, that we don't realize this as often as we should, that possessing eternal life infuses us with power, resurrection power. 
Historian and theologian John S. Whale wrote, The Gospels do not explain the resurrection. The resurrection explains the gospel. Belief in the resurrection is not an appendage to the Christian faith. It is the Christian faith. So, friends, our journey through Acts, as I said in the beginning, will be a thematic journey. We'll trace the lives of the apostles and followers of Jesus as they exhibit resurrection power in all they do. Acts reveals to us that the followers of Jesus are earmarked by the power of the Holy Spirit, and they're keenly aware of his power, and they appropriate it for their lives, and therefore have a dramatic effect on the lives of others. Acts also reveals that there's a thread the Holy Spirit weaves throughout its wonderful, well-written history book. Now, I've said that I dreaded history in high school. Maybe you did or do too, but biblical history is exciting. It's both comforting and exciting to know that our Christian faith and our Bible are both rooted in historical reality. So, friends, together we'll uncover this thread and see how this power is manifested in various life situations or challenges that the followers of Jesus face each day. Now, you may be thinking, so what does all this have to do with close encounters of a different kind? Our title for today. Well, just listen to how an early segment in Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, manifests how this power affected the early formation of the body of Christ, particularly interpersonal relationships. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. There's power! And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes to break bread, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So tell me, friends, does this sound like the church you attend these days? How many things in this list are manifested by your church? Are the people in your church devoted to the Bible's teachings? In other words, how many attend Bible studies, classes, etc.? And not just for reading a book together, but reading and studying the Bible. Are the people in your church committed to praying together? Are the other people in your church generous with their possessions and money and share with those in need? Do the people in your church meet regularly in homes for food and fellowship on a deeper level to stimulate each other spiritually? Do the people in your church care for lost souls and add to your church congregation those who are being saved? I think that's enough from the list here in Acts, don't you? 
Friends, the Spirit's power is not just for displaying signs and miracles, but for creating close encounters of a different kind, a kind that shines forth to people around us and helps them notice that our relationships are different. And this is also what we'll see as we journey through Acts together. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, we're at the end of today's program. Our broadcast will close with an email where you may write me. I'd love to hear your feedback on these programs and how they're blessing you. Recently, a listener wrote in and said, Thanks again for your unique spin on things. Another great message. Thanks for those encouraging words. And friends, keep in mind that all podcasts of A Word from the Word are freely accessible and posted at faithtalk1360.com. Just search the menu for local program podcasts. And if A Word from the Word is blessing you, please join the support team. Just ask for the details. Listeners like you help keep this program on the air. Well, thanks for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with a word from the word. Friends, if you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, email him at a word from the word at minister.com. That's a word from the word at minister.com. 